Uh, yes, thank you. I was just going to give you that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, you'll find this pages 1462 to 1463, 1462, going into 1463. John chapter 18, reading verses 1 through 19, starting on page 462 and continuing on to page 400, 1463, 1462 to 1463. Here now, here now the reading of God's word from John chapter 18, verses 1 through 9. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. He said to them, I am he. They drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke, of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Now, my friends, in this passage today from John 18, we see that the Lord Jesus overwhelms his enemies before surrendering to them. The Lord Jesus overwhelms his enemies before surrendering to them. Now, what can be more pleasant than a garden? Maybe you've gone to a special garden somewhere, like Gibbs Gardens up, in, uh, uh, up uh, near Ballground, Georgia, or some other place, some other nice park somewhere. Can't you just smell the flowers and see the beauty? Yet you know what had initially been a sign of sweetness turns into a scene of horribleness. This is true of the Garden of Eden, the original garden, where all was delightsome, all was wonderful, it was perfect, there was no sin, everything was great. And yet what happened there? is that Adam and Eve sinned against God. In Adam's fall, we sin it all. And what was so pleasant then became a place of horribleness. Now, we see this also, by the way, with regard to Gethsemane. Gethsemane. 
the place of the olive press, Gethsemane, which is where Jesus was, where, where he would be here. And that is a place of suffering and sorrow. Because you remember, in terms of Gethsemane, you remember, in terms of Gethsemane, this is the place, this is the place where Jesus would pour out his soul unto his Father. Father, if possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. A place of suffering and sorrow, this garden or this grove of trees. So this passage then, this passage helps us to have assurance. Not only do we have this, by the way, not only do we have this, the idea of a garden changing from something pleasant, but to something that's a scene of horribleness. Okay? But we, so we have that, we have that theme going there. But this passage helps us to have assurance of our salvation. And the reason why is because we have here the promise of Jesus that he will lose none of his disciples. He will lose none. That's what we see in verse 9. Of those whom thou gavest me, speaking to the Father, I have lost none. But his actions then demonstrate his intention, his resolve, his determination that that will indeed be the case. So, in the first place, the first point here is that we see Jesus taking the field as the mighty warrior. Jesus taking the field as the mighty warrior, the soldier. Now, he himself had prepared himself as our sacrifice. Just prior to John 18, of course, is John chapter 17. John chapter 17, which is the high priestly prayer of Jesus, where Jesus prays for his elect, those whom the Father had given him from before time began. And so he prepared himself as our sacrifice, meaning as he was going to be sacrificed, he was going to be sacrificed for these people for whom he was praying. Notice that that sacrifice involves an active as well as a passive obedience. In other words, not only is his sacrifice something that happened to him, I mean, after all, he was, he was nailed to the cross. After all, he did have the wrath of his father poured out upon him for our sin. He's passive. It happens to him but he is also actively involved in this as well. And we see that especially now as we come to chapter 18. Well, we see that even in terms of his praying. He's actively involved. He's praying on our behalf. He's actively engaged in praying and pouring out his heart to his Father. Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, 
but what thou willest. And so we have now the setting of the stage. Notice what we see here in verse 1 of, of John 18. He went over the brook Kidron, or Kedron, either way. Kidron or Kedron. Now this is interesting. I'm sure you all have seen brook dreams before. And as you think of, as you think of the garden, you usually think of a pleasant you know, you, you think of all the, the flowers and the, 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 the plants and the trees and the, the cool, uh, uh, bubbling stream running through it. Well, actually, this stream is quite different from that. This brook is a black brook. It's blackish water. Probably so from the dirt of the city. Now, you know, after the big stink of 1858, uh, London, um, my wife doesn't remember the particular event from 1858, but she remembers the history of it. London, capital of England, London decided to do something about the fact that the River Thames was essentially an open sewer. Now, children, you know, here we have sewer lines here throughout the city of Atlanta. We have, if you're in the suburbs, you'd have septic. Here we have sewer lines. But you can imagine if, instead of being buried underground, if those septic lines were just open. Well, that's effectively what the River Thames was. And that's sort of the picture that we have here. It was the black brook. It wasn't a, a bright, cheery a transparent bit of water. And in a sense, we can say this is what he drank. We sang from Psalm 110. Now, remember, we sang from Psalm 110 at the beginning of the service, which is a picture of the mighty warrior, is it not? It's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and at the very end of that psalm, Psalm 110 and verse Seven, we read, he shall drink of the brook by the wayside, therefore he shall lift up the head. And, you know, in the context there, you would think, well, this must be, this must just be a, a picture of a warrior who goes and refreshes himself and so forth. But as you think about it, what is the brook that is affiliated with Jesus here? It's this black brook. It's not clear, it's not crystal clear water. It's the black brook brook. You see, he, Jesus, identified with the filth of humanity. He identified with the filth of me and the filth of you. And as it were, this is the brook that he drank from. It is also a brook that is associated with weeping not only with sinfulness, with wickedness, with blackness, but it was a brook that is associated with weeping. We read today from 2 Samuel chapter 15. This is when when, uh, David was fleeing from his son Absalom, who had attempted this uh, coup d'etat, this rebellion. In 2 Samuel 15, verse 23, we read, And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over 
the king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. And again, verse 30, so David went up by the ascent of the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus was, the Mount of Olives, Gethsemane. And he wept as he went up. And he had his head covered and went barefoot, and all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up, weeping as they went up. That's what the brook was affiliated with, with weeping, with crying, mourning, sorrow. And it therefore becomes a picture to us, does it not, of the mourning and the sorrow and the humiliation of Christ, who's willing to go through all of this turmoil, all of this difficulty, all of this, the, 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 um, our, our sins being laid upon him, the, the wrath of God coming down upon him. And he cried. He, matter of fact, he sweated drops of blood. Do you know that, you know, I mean, that's very unusual to sweat drops of blood, but he'd sweat it, drops of blood. He offered his blood in pray, as he was praying. It was an active sacrifice. He sweated drops of blood, showing that he himself, yes, he was the willing lamb, willing to be sacrificed. But it wasn't automatic. And it wasn't easy. We tend to think because he's God, well, he could just go through it. But he had to go through it. The mourning and the sorrow and the humiliation, the crying, the weeping. But not only is this an emblem of dirt, grime, filth, not only is it associated with weeping, but it's also associated with abominable, loathsome things, hateful things, things like... like um, like, like a, a horrible insect that you might be afraid, or, or a venomous snake, or some sort of uh, picture like that. Something that you just, you just are so loathsome of, abominable. Second Chronicles chapter 15. Second Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 16. We read that the king... The king removed Maacah, the mother of Asa the king, from being queen mother because she had made an obscene image of Asherah, false god. And Asa cut down her obscene image, then crushed and burned it by the brook Kidron. Chapter 30 of Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 14. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars, that is say these things that were for uh, false worship. They took away all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. And 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings, chapter 23, 2 Kings, chapter 23 verses 4 and 6. 2 Kings 23, verses 4 and 6. And 
the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest, the priests of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, as a false god, for Asherah, a goddess, and for all the host of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And again, verse 6, and he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. So this is a place. This is, you absolutely abhor. You, you hate these things, you see. And so they're affiliated with the brook, this black brook Kidron. My friends, we need to recognize that Jesus is the one who took the abomination, our abominable things, upon himself. He is the one who is willing to die for our sins, the things that make us loathsome in the sight of God. So that God despises you and me apart from being in Jesus Christ. He took these abominable things, all the things that make us displeasing to God, he took upon himself so that we could have salvation. But we also see then, besides being the, the like an open sewer, the, the filth of humanity, besides being associated with weeping and sorrow, besides being associated with abominable things, we also see that this is a reference then to the bitterness of the suffering. The bitterness of his suffering. And so it was not an accident then that we read that he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. Nor is it a mistake, nor is it an accident that he went into the garden. Why the garden? Well, for one thing, this was being away from the crowds, so as not to involve bloodshed. Away from the crowds. Now, you know, Eden, Eden was a garden, as we've already mentioned, Genesis Eden was a garden. This was the place, however, where man rebelled and where the curse was pronounced against men and women. But this was also, it was also the place where the first promise of the Redeemer was that of the seed of the woman, there would be that one seed, that one person who would come, who, yes, he would he would suffer from the serpent. The serpent would bite his heel, but he would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. And so Eden was a garden. Here, this is also a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And this was the place where Jesus knew that they would look for him. He knew, he knew, this is where Judas one of his disciples who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, Jesus knew that, didn't take him by surprise, he knew that, and he knew that Judas knew that this was just the place. And therefore Jesus put himself in a position of confrontation and also in a position not only to show his power, 
but to surrender to his enemies. So Jesus, again, welcomes the confrontation. So that's Jesus taking the field as the mighty warrior. Now, secondly, notice the enemy attack. The enemy attack. It is a great band of men, possibly 500 or 1,000 soldiers. No, exactly, but imagine. Here they come out with, with uh, lanterns, torches, and weapons. Can you see them, children? Can you see this band of angry people, determined people, determined to take Jesus and ultimately to destroy him, commissioned by the chief priest and the Pharisees, the chief priests, the ones who should have stood who Jesus was, but who rejected him. The chief priests, the Pharisees, those goody two-shoes who were self-righteous, not depending upon the righteousness of Christ. But not only was there this band of men, but of course there was Judas. There was Judas, the great betrayer. There was Judas, who had been with Jesus for three years, who had not only seen Jesus, would have, would have touched him, would have been in close fellowship with him. But as Psalm, one, as Psalm 41 verse 9 says, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And so the enemy attacks. But now thirdly, we see the Lord's repulse. That is to say, his rejection, his conquering of these enemies. Notice the initial reaction by Jesus in verse 4. Jesus' initial question, whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? For whom are you looking? Jesus was calm. Jesus demonstrated his willingness to... And my friends, Jesus knew all things that would happen to him. This, of course, shows that he is God, and it also once more proves how willing he was. How willing he was to undergo this suffering, this sacrifice. Whom are you seeking? And the answer comes back, Jesus of Nazareth. This is not a recognition, of course, of his lordship. It was more or less a reproach to him. It was part of his humiliation. But then do you notice what, how Jesus responds Notice Jesus' overpowering response. As he says, I am he. I am he. In other, and as you notice what happened, children? He knocked them over. They drew back and fell to the ground. He knocked them over. This was not, of course, a willing bowing of the knee by Judas and this great band of people. No, 
they were still in rebellion. In spite of themselves, they had no choice when he said, I am, that they fell over backwards. There is a very famous, well, well-known, I should say, preacher in Atlanta. You would know his name if I mentioned it. He preached on this several years ago. You know what he said? He said, Jesus made a mistake. Did you know that? Jesus made a mistake. Oh, boop. You know, he said, I am. And boop, they all fell over. Jesus made a mistake. Talk about blasphemy. Yet there are thousands of people that follow him and his hologram. No, my friends, this is not a mistake by Jesus. This is his assertion of power and authority, showing exactly who he is. He is Yahweh. This is the name of Yahweh or Jehovah. As in Exodus 3 and verse 14, where the Lord appears to Moses and say, Tell the people, tell my people, when you go back to Egypt, I am that I am. It is the I am that has sent me to you. And Jesus here is showing, I am. I am. In other words, I am God. I am the Lord. He doesn't have to say that. All he has to say is, ego me. I am. So notice now, Jesus' protection of his disciples. By the way, he does this. Did you notice this? notice this? He says, of course, I am he. They drew back, fell to the ground. And then he asks them again, whom are you seeking this at Jesus of Nazareth? Verse 8, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. This is not a, an asking permission. This is a command to these people. Notice the fulfillment of, this, of, of his saying here. This is, this is in fulfillment of what he had prayed in John 19. Lord, I pray that all of thine elect would be preserved. Lord, I am praying that of the ones thou hast given me, none would be lost. And of course, it's a reference not just to, his, to these disciples here. It's a reference to all of the elect. So if you believe in Jesus, if you're one of his elect, if you're one of his chosen people, if you've come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, this promise applies to you. Of course, it's not just a preservation of their physical lives. That's a token of the preservation of their souls. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, verse 9, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom thou gavest me, I have lost none. I have three points of application. The first is with regard to the hardness of the hearts of those come to arrest Jesus. The hardness of the hearts of those who, are, who have came to arrest Jesus. I want you to put yourself in their sandals for a moment. I want you to put yourself in their shoes just for a moment. If you had just experienced this, that here this man of Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth, said, I am, and 
hundreds of people suddenly got thrown back on their backs? Don't you think that would get your attention? Indeed, they could have easily been killed by one word from Jesus. But yet, my friends, they persisted in their wicked work. And so I, I have two lessons from this. First of all, beware lest you become hardened in your sin. Beware, my friends, today, lest you become hardened in your sin. You're hearing the gospel today. You're hearing the gospel. You're hearing the good news. You're hearing about Jesus. You're hearing about his sacrifice. You're hearing about his love. You're hearing about your sin, your need for Jesus. What is going to be your response? Are you going to go away from here and be hardened in your sin? Is that what you're going to be like? Like these people here, who despite the fact that they were knocked over, continued in their wicked deed. Beware, lest you become hardened in your sin. But notice also that the Lord uses even man's hardening of his heart for his glory. See, it was necessary, wasn't it, that Jesus go through this? It was necessary for Jesus to suffer in this way. It was necessary for him to be arrested. It was necessary for him to be crucified. It was necessary so that Jesus could be our Savior. And therefore, it was necessary for all of the hardness of the heart that you see here. And Jesus sovereignly uses even man's sin to praise himself. The hardening of man's heart, Jesus is using for his glory. Secondly, with re- by way of application, with regard to the hardness of Judas's heart, he had been, as we noted, with Jesus for three years. Yet he sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. You ever been betrayed by somebody? You ever been stabbed in the back by somebody? Not fun. But here, the Son of God is being betrayed. And therefore, especially beware of the, uh, that old idea of familiarity breeding contempt. Taking, in a sense, taking Jesus for granted, being familiar with him, my own familiar friend. Familiarity breeding contempt. Familiarity leading to a lax, a lackadaisicalness, if you will, and ultimately a contempt of Jesus. And so therefore beware, you who are in the church, beware. You who have sat under the preaching of the word, I speak to myself here. The warning comes to everyone. Beware, beware. Be aware of the danger here. 
that familiarity can breed contempt. We see it in the hardness of Judas's heart. And thirdly, contemplate, think on the greatness of Jesus' sacrifice. He is the one who overcame all temptation, including the temptation to use his great power to escape the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he overcame that temptation in this moment of great trial. He suffered all indignity against himself. He did so that none of his elect would be lost. He went into the garden. Indeed, he crossed over the brook Kidron. Amen. We please stand for prayer. And our Father, we pray that thou wouldst be pleased to bless this message to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that each one here is touched by it and especially will be touched not just in time, but for eternity. We thank thee for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please remain standing as we turn now to Psalm 69.